In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Most guys don't wake up one day uh, not a sex addict, and by the end of the next, they are. It, it's a progression. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here, as always with the most faithful human on the planet, besides my wife, Shanna, Dale Culver. How you doing, man? I'm doing really good, Jim. Did I choke you up right now? Did that, did that get you? Pull the heartstrings. Uh, that was beautiful. Oh, man. Yeah. He's fighting tears already. Mm. He's, yeah. So, hey, man, I, I got to tell you, you heard Dan in the background. I'm really excited about having him on today. Uh, he is a uh, an addiction recovery coach in an area that you want to stick around and hear what he's helping guys and coaching guys through. It's going to be a great podcast episode. And with the lockdown that we've experienced in 2020, I think super appropriate for our guys. So guys tune in, listen up. You're gonna have a great time today with Dan. So, Hey guys, I also want to let you know, make sure you send us a hero story again. You know, Jesus is the famous one. He's put you on display in front of your family. You are the hero in that family. If you get it, everyone wins. When you don't get it, everyone loses. And uh, guys, we want to hear your hero story. So let us know what God is doing. Let us know where you've come from, where you're at. Uh, we love to hear that stuff. It encourages us. And make sure you go on and write a positive review about this podcast as it helps you. And so we're super excited about that. So make sure you take some time. Visit our website, manintherena.org. Org. We have a brand new website. It is awesome. Dale, what's the man word for today, buddy? The man word is bold. Oh, that's Kinda interesting. Like my essence. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Bald? <laughs> you mean bald? Oh, that's that's oh, that's an A. Bald. Yeah, that's it. Bold is in your essence, bald as in my essence. <laughs> so uh, that's an interesting that's right. man word for today based on our guest and his uh, ministry. So why don't you explain that for me? Well, yeah, it's uh, the definition of it is shown an ability to take risks, uh, confident and courageous. And I think we're all about that. I think sometimes uh, 
uh, we need men need to be bolder than they really are in life, and instead of just sitting back and playing it safe, be bold. Go do those courageous things. Be confident. You know, study, know your stuff, and be confident in doing what you're doing, and and take calculated risks. Yeah, the Bible says so. that God has not given us a spirit of fear, or another translation says timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. And so we need to be bold out there and stand. Our our country, our culture, is messed up, and it is because of a bunch of gutless cowards who fill the churches and speak up never. And so it is time for men to start standing up. Like I was going down my feed uh, on social media, and Dolly Parton posted something about COVID, and don't be afraid, get your shot. And so I just responded right back. How about don't be afraid and don't get your shot? You know, I'm just, I'm not, I don't care about the vaccine, but I'm like, you know, you can't, don't call somebody something they're not. And we're always hearing these lies, and we just have to stand up against them. And so at some point, we have to stand up with boldness because uh, things are going south, and we got to be really careful. And so... I appreciate that word. Hey, I want to bring on our guest today. Super excited about this guy, Dan Wapshaw. He's going to come on right now. He's 59 years old, lives in Orlando, Florida, soon moving to Texas in May. He's going to move to San Antonio, Texas. So he's been married to his beautiful wife, Julie, of 36 years. Dan currently serves as director of Gateway to Freedom at Be Broken Ministries. He's currently the executive director for Bold Path Life Strategies, which is where Vanilla Dale got his word bold. Now I know. Uh, He's the sexual addiction recovery coach for men, has been contributor to the Covenant Eyes blogging team, and we are a partner ministry with Covenant Eyes guys, and so we love those guys. Uh, He's worked with them uh, at various Covenant Eyes events. Uh, He is a sex addiction recovery coach. And I, we've had a lot of guys on the show that have dealt with sex addiction, but we've never had a sex addiction recovery coach on the show. So I'm really excited to bring him on. Dan, how are you doing today, man? Hey, I am better than I deserve if I dare steal something from Dave Ramsey. But it's true. <laughs> I'm very good. It's, it's, it's a thrill to be here with you uh, and Dale today. Well, we're excited to have you on, and we've got some questions. I mean, you, you bring a little bit different uh, slant to sex addiction and pornography and lust and so i'm really excited to dive in but before we dive in can you take a few minutes and give our uh, guys some personal stories some hobbies you like just a little bit more about yourself so we can put everything into context absolutely uh first of all i've been married as you said for 36 years to the same woman uh her name is julie and uh we have three grown daughters and a son-in-law and a grandson we love them uh, dearly um and that's the reason honestly jim we're we're moving to uh, texas is our youngest daughter and her husband had the nerve to take our grandson to texas with him so we'll follow them there uh i grew up in a small town in minnesota nine thousand people Uh, that's where i met and married my wife and uh the story from how i wound up in, in in this ministry is purely a, a god redemptive story um but hobbies oh man love the ocean um love the the hills and valleys love to travel and see those i enjoy reading and i'm a music guy uh, i've been uh, i've played uh, electric guitar acoustic guitar was a drummer uh was uh, your average 
uh, at those, and uh, I'm a little bit of a a little bit of a tech weenie too. Uh, I like video production and, and audio production. I've done some of that in my past. I find all that stuff relaxing because it's different from everything else. Yeah, and we all need need those things that fuel us too, and those things do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, very blessed right now and. Uh, it was my own 30-year addiction that brought me to this area of ministry. My own addiction was pornography and and all that that I carried into a marriage. And uh, God saved me from it all, saved us from it all. And then in 2010 said, hey, it's time for you to go serve other men. Wow. So when you say 30-year porn addiction, when did that start and when did that stop? Uh, the first exposure of pornography I had was 12 years old in my home. Uh, for my dad's stuff. I uh, found it by accident, um, and from that day forward, it just took greater and greater control of my life until eventually I didn't, uh, I was the one opening the door to its further control. And uh, by the time I met my wife and we got married, I was uh, full blown addiction to pornography, uh, masturbation, going to strip clubs. Uh, at that time, I was working in law enforcement as a 911 dispatcher and a part-time patrol officer. And there isn't a strip club in the country that if you show up with a police badge, they waive the cover charge because they like cops in their strip clubs because it keeps oh the peace. Gosh, that's interesting. And that's the life I was living. Now, that was a long time ago, and I don't know if that's still true today, but if I know anything about the industry that feeds this these challenges for men, I doubt whether they've changed any. Um it, you know, there may be law enforcement departments that have different policies on that, but I doubt the establishments have changed their mm-hmm, mm-hmm. their mind. And what happened uh, is bringing all that into my marriage that my wife didn't know about. She knew about the small town public servant spit shiny image that I built serving my small town community uh, for uh, many, many years. Uh, but she didn't know the secretive dark guy that was running around behind uh, looking at the pornography and when the computers came along, getting online, getting in the chat rooms and all the rest of that came along uh, until her suspicions were raised enough uh, in 2003 that in the middle of the night she looked into my open office door that was open just a crack and saw what I was doing. And oh, she, she caught you. She caught you personally. Oh, yeah, wow. she caught me doing what I'd been doing for a long time. And to say that uh, our life exploded is not true. It imploded. It it, it, it reminds wow. me of watching one of the buildings that are that are imploded and they simply collapse in on themselves. That's what life felt like. And um, what was still devastating, to be honest with you. When I think about it, um, and this smile is kind of defend the fend off the the pain is my wife had been married previously to uh, a man who was verbally and physically abusive, and I had made a promise in front of God and everybody that I would protect her and told her I would never hurt her like that again and the day wow. she discovered my activity um it was like she had been beat up all over again, but it was emotional. Wow. Now, I never physically touched her, but she at one time told me, I think it would have been easier for you to punch me than for me to discover that. 
and it, it 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 absolutely uh destroyed the solid foundation that we had for a marriage even though i built part of it on a lie and um that was painful that was very painful and so i broke i i realized now understand i'd been involved in the church my entire life up till now served in our church oh, alongside wow. my wife i was part of i was i grew up going to church with my parents every sunday as a kid right up till i was 18 kind of stepped away from the church until i got married and then julie and i and our, as our kids came along we were back in the church very active um and i'm serving alongside all kinds of good people in the church but still living this second life i was still building an image that i wanted the public and people to believe while i was living this other very dark life behind and when all of that was exposed in that moment i thought i was about to lose absolutely everything and what i thought i had was a right faith to jesus really was not it was all head knowledge it had never made the trek that infamous 12 inches to my heart and soul and it was in the getting caught that the path to true salvation for me began in 2003 so 2003 so i guess my i was taking notes here then as i was taking the notes you've answered all the questions I guess my question is, what happened next? I mean, something happened because you're on a better path now. What happened next with your marriage? What happened next? Did you were caught, but did you were you exposed publicly? I mean, you you lived out kind of a nightmare experience for a lot of guys, right? Caught in the act, yeah. and so so what happened next? Well, some of it is very clear. Some of it is is I remember the pieces. But I don't necessarily always remember them in order. And I think that's the struggle. But it, it's difficult. So let me unpack that as quick as I can. Okay. After I got caught, I actually was diagnosed in a clinical depression. Uh, that diagnosis came after I attempted to commit suicide with my car. Oh, wow. There was, there was a time where I was so overwhelmed by what was happening I was living a false false faith, something I thought was genuine. My whole life was now coming apart around me, and I didn't have anything rock solid to stand on. I thought everything was going to be gone because my boss at work with the ambulance service uh, had a talk with me and said, I don't know what's going on with you, but your, your co-workers can't stand to work with you right now. We don't know what happened to Dan that was here a couple of years ago, but he's left. Wow. You're you're a powder keg every time you come to work. I was oblivious to that, that I had become that man. So that Friday, I lied to my wife about where I was going on a Friday, and I said, I'm just going to go for a drive. And my entire plan was to go out around the lake in our small town, aim my car at this infamous tree that was known for biting vehicles that drove past it. Okay, that's a little public safety humor we're kind of sick and twisted in our humor okay it's just true <laughs> and i and i was going to put this car into that tree and be done I, I that's where i was at so as i made the curve i looked at the tree stepped on the gas and looked up in my rearview mirror to make sure there was no witnesses because i didn't want anybody to see it happen um 
because I wanted it to, if it wasn't over quick, I want, didn't want anybody there to, to step in too soon. And when I looked in that mirror, I saw an image of my three daughters. And I did not have a picture of my three kids in that mirror. Like a lot of people, you've seen them, they stick a, a, a picture. I didn't have a picture like that up there, but I saw them. I took my foot off the gas, stepped on the brake, and made that curve, and then drove about three-quarters of a mile to a city park, a boat ramp, and sat and stared at uh, Clear Lake in the small town of Wasika for the next hour and cried, wondering, what do I do now, and what am I going to tell my wife when I get home? Wow. And after, and after an hour, I still didn't have an answer to either one of those questions. I just knew that I'd been spared for whatever reason, and I needed to do something. So I went home. Um, don't think I looked like I'd been crying. Maybe I did, but I didn't say anything to my wife. But that next week, after some other thing happens that revealed how emotionally, and if I can use the word mentally, unstable I was, I went in to see uh, a psychiatrist, and she said, you, my friend, are in a deep clinical depression, mm. and you need help. Here's an, anti an antidepressant prescription. You start taking this today, and you and I are going to be visiting once a week for a while. Wow. That was the beginning of that part of the road back. Now, understand, as I said before, I had a head knowledge of faith. I knew who God was. I knew of Christ, knew very little about the Holy Spirit. But as God has sovereign control over everything, so much of this is hindsight, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, life, is, life is full of amazing hindsight. I took a break from full-time emergency medical services work, and I began working at a computer company in our small town. They built custom computers. What I didn't know what God was in, God was in the midst of introducing me to a bunch of Christian men and a couple of Christian women. I mean true believers. Um, part of in that introduction, I met four brothers in our community who were a cappella singers. All of them loved Jesus. And after about a year working there, they said, hey, we're going to do a release of a CD. We need some stage people to help with the concert are you in and i was like anything music sign me up okay i told i'm the music nerd so that night um it was a sunday night in march in 2004 went to that concert and after it was done there was prayer beforehand of course in the green room and the show went off everything was beautiful I went home that night feeling different. That's the only thing I could, to this day, that's the only word I can describe is I felt different. The next morning, a Monday, after my wife was off to school, she was a paraprofessional at this point because all of our kids were old enough there, they were in school. I sat on the couch at home, listened to two songs from this CD, Shine On Us, an old hymn, which a lot of people may not be familiar with. You gotta be old enough as old as dirt like me to know that. And then Holy, Holy, Holy. And as I, I'm going to try to get through this. As I sat and listened to those two songs in repeat, I felt the weight of decades just weigh on me. Mm. And much like the prodigal, 
I felt like I heard and saw the father say, I've been waiting for you to come home. And I didn't invite Christ into my life. I begged him into my life in that moment. And that Monday morning, near the end of March, Christ began to rebuild a very broken man, a very broken life, and a very broken family. And seven years later, after a lot of painful, hard work, a lot of mistakes, but a wife so filled with grace I can't describe it, uh, I was set free. Wow, that's really powerful. And then in the midst of that freedom, I heard God say, now it's time for you to go tell your story. And as the Big Daddy Weave has got a song, a song that says, my story, I have no story to tell without Jesus Christ as my Savior in it. And that's where ministry to men suffering from sexual struggles and addictive and destructive behaviors began for me. Wow, that's really powerful. You, you, you said something I thought was really interesting. You said it was like the prodigal son came home, and you were attending church faithfully and regularly and historically at the time. And I think there are a lot of guys listening to this podcast who are going to church and doing the Christian thing, but essentially are prodigal children who need to repent and come home. And so that was really powerful to me. Just because you're in a church doesn't mean that you're following Jesus. And so that is really good. And what we tell guys all the time is what God told you. Now tell your story that, hey, God can take your mess and turn it into your message. So tell us about what is the mission of Be Broken Ministries? And uh, let's start there. Well, our, our mission is um, to uh, to help men, women, and children come to come to a restoration of wholeness in Christ in their sexuality and then lead others equip others to do the same now I've paraphrased that a little bit um, but uh, you know my part in in the men's ministry uh, and director of gateway to freedom the to lead that is really where my sweet spot is as as mm-hmm. it says right you, you guys say <laughs> When men get it right, I'm paraphrasing your statement, but but when men get it right, it changes everything. Okay. Yes. Right. So goes as as the men go, so goes their marriage, their family, the church, and culture. Yep. It, 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 it's by God's design. So, um, and so in 2015, when I met Jonathan Doherty and the guys at Be Broken, or in 2012 rather. My first dialogue with them was then, in 2015, they said, hey, would you be interested in joining our team? I looked at my wife, and I, and I said, well, what do you think? And she said, what do you mean, what do you think? <laughs> That's a no-brainer. The answer yeah. is yes. And um, God has been faithful and, and uh, opened doors. And I pinch myself, Jim and Dale, when I sit here in an, in, in an environment like this, having this kind of a conversation going, what in the world is a holy heavenly father doing inviting me in to an, uh, literally an arena like this to be a voice to encourage another man? I struggle with seeing that as how. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of that kind of stuff. Well, let's, but God. let's do- 
Yeah, no, I appreciate that, and I agree wholeheartedly with that statement for all of us. So let's dive into this thing for these guys listening. So, and I and I have this all the time. I this is just something that comes up all the time. At what point? So, I would just start by saying this: lust is a sin. Lust is wrong. Pornography is wrong. Mm-hmm. Pornography is a sin because it's lust driven. So I want to mm-hmm. get that on the table, and then I want to I want to say that as a caveat. Because my next statement might sound like a lesser statement. It's not. At what point is a man who struggles with pornography a sex addict? So I think any time that we engage in lust, that's a sin. But at what point Mm -hmm. is it uh, an addiction that's out of control? How do you guys identify uh, with Be Broken Ministries? How do you identify when a man is addicted? Yeah, You know, that's a great question, Jim, because... um Many men ask that. Am am I an addict or not? Do I need help or not? And I think we need to draw the distinction between um, an addict and somebody who's struggling. Uh, And here's what addiction looks like. I'll I'll give you four simple points. And this is uh, something that we believe is true. Um, We've grabbed a hold of this. You can find some of this information on our partner as well, Covenant Eyes. It's on their website. They have great material. We have it as well. So let me just give you these four things. Uh, Here's four signs that your sexual activity uh, may very well constitute an addiction. Number one is you're doing it secretively. You're hiding it, and you're hiding it from everyone. Okay? So if your sexual behaviors are occurring in the shadows, as I told you mine were, there's a sign. Number two, your sexual behavior is not part of a uh, monogamous same-sex union, marriage. So it's hollow. There's no meaning in it. There's no real true intimacy in it. There, there's no true emotional connection in it, okay? Uh, abusive, right? Is the sexual behavior abusive to yourself, to another um, is it is in my case is it becoming it manifests itself in abusiveness and how I was talking to my wife how I was treating her emotionally and verbally okay not just self-abusive but it became abusive in language uh, and mood altering I can't even tell you how many men that I talked to and have mentored and counseled uh, that were in the same scenario that I found myself your emotions are all over the place and it takes very little the deeper I was into my addiction it took less and less to break that camel's back with that final straw Um, so those are some things in other words when you see this these things are evidence of a behavior or a, uh, a substance if you can call pornography or sexual addiction, a substance, it controls you because they are driving the the product, the drugs, the alcohol, the porn, the the prostitute visiting is driving your behavior. So this is really interesting to me. You did not give me the answer I was expecting. So you said the four signs that you're a sex addict are if it's done in secret, number one. Number two, if it's not a part of a 
monogamous union between a husband and wife. Number three, if it's abusive to yourself or another. Number four, if it's mood altering. But I was surprised that you didn't mention uh, the frequency of the pornography. You didn't mention masturbation uh, and the frequency of that. And you didn't mention the progression of, let's say, watching a radar movie uh, all the way to acting out in a strip club or online or, the, or having an adulterous affair. So how come those aren't engaged or involved in these four sex addict signs? Uh, that's a great question. Here, and here's part of what that looks like. In the, uh, in the abusive or hollow, a number of those things that you mentioned can fit there, the behaviors. We're talking about the, the indications that it's abusive. There's a behavior that's attached to that abusiveness. The hollow, there's places and behaviors attached to that. Prostitution is one of them. That's hollow. You're, you, what, what most men are seeking is intimacy. And they are going to a prostitute to find that, even if they're not conscious of it, that's going to leave them hollow because that true intimacy is not going to be found there. That is not how God designed intimacy to be experienced. So masturbation is the same thing. It can actually be abusive. There have been men that have physically hurt themselves from the frequency of masturbation. They've physically harmed their genitals from it. They've actually injured themselves on purpose as part of getting that next high that they weren't getting because they've been at it for so long they needed to go to the next level. Wow. So all of that is wrapped up in there, Jim. And we've talked, our ministry has talked to men that have experienced all of those. And mood altering, I tell you what, I could come home from a 18-hour day in riding, doing our work as uh, in an ambulance or a tough eight-hour shift uh, at the 911 dispatch center, and I was not a happy man when I got home. I was exhausted. I was angry. Two hours in front of the computer and some behavior that didn't belong there, my mood was different, but it didn't stick. That was also hollow. Gosh, so that is I, really that interesting. Answer, yeah, is that, I well, hope that, that answered your question. Well, it does. It's just really interesting because I, I, when, when I see this question— when I ask this question, of course, I'm always going back to, you know, where am I on this spectrum, right? Because I think every guy struggles with lust. So I'm like, absolutely. And I just, I guess I didn't understand it because I'm not a sex addict because I don't understand the abusive to yourself or another. I don't understand the mood altering. I mean, lust, uh, the secret thing is pretty common with lust, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Behavior, not, mon- I think any guy who engages in lustful behavior, that's never going to be a part of a monogamous union. Right. You're yeah. alone or you're yeah. with another person or you're doing, so, you know. So to me, I was questioning this going, this doesn't make sense to me, but I guess it doesn't because um, I'm not this guy. Yeah. No, I, I guess I didn't start. No. And I doubt that you are. Most guys don't wake up one day, uh, not a sex addict. And by the end of the next, they are. Correct. It, it's a progression, but it can go from like if I can put it this way, a casual use where it's not an outright addiction, but it will grow if something doesn't get in the way of stopping it and it will become those things. And that's the, that's the old slippery slope. Where does it cross over? 
And yeah. there's no timeline that's unique that you can say, this is how long it takes for every guy. Because there's so much of what's happened in their life and how they're wired that influences how quickly or slowly it truly becomes an addictive behavior. Well, and the thing that we're addressing here, uh, Dan, is not, hey, how far can you go before you need to get help? We're saying, right. we're saying if you masturbate to pornography once a month, you need to knock it off. You know, uh, right. So we're saying it's always wrong. At some point, there's an addictive behavior that's destructive and out of control, but it's always wrong. Just one of the things I've been working on in my own life is uh, personally getting angry or frustrated with events that I can't control or I could have controlled and I didn't. And, right. and I'm dealing with that right now. So I'm trying to wrap my brain around that as a growth area. I'm not an anger addict. I don't have an anger issue. Dale, shut up. I'm just, but I'm just I'm just working through an area just like a guy with lust over here has to work through that area to a life of holiness. Right. That's what we're saying here. And so right. you got caught. I mean, you got caught, and, and that was a catalyst for your healing. But what have you mm -hmm. found, Dan? What keeps most of these guys uh, from coming forward and asking for help? Um, isolation is one of the most dangerous things, as you well know, for men. And an addict, it's even more powerful because as you've been living in isolation for a while, they, they realize they have a problem, but yeah. the guilt and the shame and the fear is so heavy. Fear of the things I experience. What's going to happen if my boss finds out? My, my children find out their dad is doing this. What's going to happen? Uh, my spit-polished image in this community, the guy who had the Hometown Heroes article written about him, what what's going to happen? I can't say anything to you, buddy. I'm going to destroy all that. Uh, every all, those kinds of things, or the great lie. Nobody else. There's nobody else that's as bad as me. There's nobody else mm. that's doing what I'm doing. I, I'm I'm the only I'm the only one. Um, those are the lies that years and years of of being trapped by the the use and abuse of these, whether it's porn or all the things attached to it we believe those lies and fear of confessing is so overwhelming that they just live in secrecy and they drive themselves further and further and further into isolation and until somebody gets caught or something happens where they're forced to confront it so many guys will live in shame and fear here's another thing that's attached to this and, and I'll stop after this uh, if you have something else but um, guys want to know there are guys men who want help but they're like I don't know where it's safe to go mm. who is it safe to tell it, and unfortunately there's too many churches in America today that it's not safe for a man to come forward to his church leadership and say, I gotta struggle with pornography. Mm -hmm. Especially if that man is in church leadership or the pastor. Because unfortunately, the old saying, we shoot too many of our own. That sounds horrible, and I know in light of everything that's happened recently, that was probably a very bad choice of words. But unfortunately, it's happened. Here's a stat for you guys, and I got this information um, from a 2018 uh, survey from Covenant Eyes. 
one in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis and are currently struggling. That's a, that's a study done. 43% of senior pastors and youth pastors say they have struggled with pornography in the past. And over 65% of professing Christian men are using porn at least once a month. So oh, the church I, is hurting. I, yes. And it, and they're not going to say anything because and if you and if you come forward to another man say I got a struggle. If that other guy that you're confessing to is struggling, he's going to say I'll pray for you and retreat to the shallow end of the pool. He's not going to jump into the deep end with you because of the same exact fears. And I get it. They're legit. They they're crippling. Now, this is really powerful. Uh, I actually thought the statistic for pastors was higher than that. So that was uh, pleasantly surprising. <laughs> but when yeah, you well, say... And this is tw 2018, so these things probably have not gotten better, unfortunately. No, well, I think... But I do think Covenant Eyes has gotten better. And I do think some of these organizations... Oh, yes. I mean, just having Covenant Eyes on my devices, all of our board, are they're mandated to have it on their devices, our staff... Just knowing that my wife gets my reports is 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 all I needed. It's all I need. Yeah. If I know that I would yeah. ruin her life. But you talked about this fear, and you said fear is so heavy. Uh, and I think one of those fears you mentioned was talking to your wife. So you had your wife caught you, so you dealt with a, a violated wife. What kind of impact mm -hmm. does discovery or a confession of betrayal and porn abuse have on a wife what's what's the actual effect on these women how do these women actually handle it compared to what these men fear well the here's the here's the odd dichotomy in that when i got caught and and eventually started to confess the levels of what was going on i felt better it was like a weight yeah. came off me what happened is my wife felt like she'd been metaphorically riddled with a machine gun they get the weight. They get the weight on them. Right. Yeah. And what is being discovered in very, not well, fairly recent is they're doing studies, and as they treat wives, they are seeing symptoms that are post-traumatic stress in their nature. These mm -hmm. wives are experiencing true post-traumatic stress from what's happening to them. And... um unless they are able to step into uh, a, a place, an arena where they can find a voice of comfort and understanding to make sense of what they're experiencing. Because what happens with many wives is, <clears throat> pardon me, there's eroded trust in a marriage, but a wife could ask, many wives have said, I don't even think I can trust myself anymore. How did I not see this? Hmm. How did my wife not see that in me for 19 years? Yeah. And, and and wives then are they're questioning their own sound judgment. They're they're dealing with the real fear of is my is my are my children going to leave their lose their father? What about my financial security and retirement plans, the things I hoped that we would do as a retired couple? All this stuff mm -hmm. is now in front of them and it's crumbling. And they're in pain. Um I it it's incredibly incredibly difficult for the for the wife and as much as a husband wants to help her 
I'm sorry, right at that moment, he's not the guy to help her. Yeah, so the fears that a guy has about his wife's reaction are true. She's oh, yes. not going to handle it well. And so that's that's something. And now here's a here's something I'd like to say to the wives. I know we've got a lot of women listening to this podcast. Our minds as men are wired differently than you, and we are visual mm -hmm. where you are audible and verbal. And I think women, ladies, don't get caught in the trap thinking your husband's just fine. Engage him mm -hmm. in a conversation. Ask him questions about lust, pornography, masturbation, and just know that there's probably some kind of sporadic, at the very least, history. But don't shrink mm -hmm. back from the questions. Engage the question, mm -hmm. because if this guy's got a problem that he's hiding from you, you might be his greatest fear. So engage that man. Do you think there's some truth to that statement? I mean, do you think that if women would engage the men, I'm saying the pornography problem is the man's problem, but a wife can engage in the conversation. Right. And those are incredibly difficult conversations. Yes. It, it can be helpful. I will tell you this much. As deeply hurt, and I've seen it in other marriages, as deeply hurt as Julie was, um, eventually, after getting over the, the shock, numb, and the disbelief that occurs and then being angry, she eventually got to a point where I don't like to hear it, but I want to hear it. So that yeah. I know how, I know how to pray for you. I know how to talk to you. And here's the thing that can be easily missed, Jim, as, as you allude to these conversations. And this is in no way meant to minimize what, the, what any wife is experiencing at all. And I'm not making excuses for guys who made the choices I made. But, and this goes for men as we go the other direction, but we're speaking to the wives for a minute. As yeah. they come to understand what their husband is going through and what's more as important, what led up to the behavior, that can take away, not, not that's the wrong, that's not the best statement, can help diminish some of the painful impact at least by understanding what's driving it because here's here's a, a, a truth and i'll put it in a medical perspective in a second hopefully this helps uh, the listeners is the behaviors i had and that many men had going to a strip club to masturbate watching the porn going to see a prostitute those things are not good and they are a problem yes for the vast majority of the men they are not the problem the problem is the 12-year-old, 10-year-old me, or another man listening to this, who heard things like, why do you have to be so stupid? Mm -hmm. Why can't you be more like so-and-so? You are such a failure. I wish you had never been born. Okay, uh, Bullied in school. We're not very athletic, and we're all these things that shape the emotional system and then shape belief systems from an 8, 10, 12-year-old child in a way that is emotionally wounded, many of them very deeply by even abuse, sexual abuse, they bring those injured, wounded 12-year-old emotions into the life of a 40-year-old man. And that 40-year-old man is responding emotionally from those 12-year-old wounds. And when he's confronted with a stress in life, 
40-year-old me went right back to the same thing that I went to mm. at age 16 to find my medication. So oh. what these guys have to be willing to do, and I had to do, is look back and where's the wound? You, you find the wound, you address the wound and begin to heal it, and then the behaviors that are changing will stick. So we're running really short on time, but I still want to yep. ask you two questions. So okay. is there... Um, do you guys offer a test or a way a guy can see if he has a real problem? Is there something that he can take on his own uh, if he's yep. concerned about his uh, habit of pornography or lust? What do you, yeah, what do you have you can there? Go, well, you can, go to, um, you can go to Covenant Eyes. They have an article uh, it, from February 2017. It's entitled, Am I a Sex Addict? And there is a self-test there that they can use right in that article. Um, it's it's a it's a great thing it's it's free um and they can take a look at that so it's and an the, article the part, it's an article but it has a self it has as a sex addict self-test and there's a bunch of questions that they can read and answer for themselves and that will give them insight whether they have what might be a true addiction now not all guys who come to us are addicted they just have identified you know what uh, I, I, I don't think I'm addicted. It's not changing my life, but I'm dealing with this, and I don't want it to get there. Yeah, that's a really good. We're going to include that link in our equipping blast for men, guys. So, and then we'll put it in our show notes, so Dale will make sure that happens. So that's really good. I really appreciate that. You're the first guy I've ever heard or interviewed that had access to some kind of self-assessment so a guy can figure out, okay, how deep is this destruction running? So last thing I want to know is how, how you know, your ministry helps guys. You're a co sex addiction coach. How does a man who's listened to this show, how does he get help? Where, where does he need to go? How, how can you help that guy? A uh, simple thing is to go to our website, which is bebroken.com. There will be a tab there labeled men. Uh, you can click on that tab. There's uh, some resources there. There's some free online courses they can take immediately. The first seven days for men is one. Um, there's a thing there with 10 tools to start combating their sexual addiction. If you want to speak to someone, they can reach out to me through the ministry. Um, they, can, they can call the ministry. Uh, it's uh, 210-822-8201. My extension is 106. Or my email is very simply, dan at bebroken.com. They can reach out to us that way, and I'm glad to have a private confidential visit with them, uh, either by phone or by Zoom. Um, if we can help them with our three-day intensive, the Gateway to Freedom, we hold uh, 11 or 12 of those a year in Texas and Florida, and they're an intensive. They're, they're staffed by counselors and uh, recovery specialists like myself and Jonathan Doherty. Uh, and you're going to spend three days digging into some of the things we've talked about here and much more. And we have licensed counselors that are part of our team uh, with decades of experience in sexual addiction recovery. That's one place. If we are not the place for a man, we will help him find one. We have a national network of other providers of workshops of licensed therapists and counselors, small groups, of support groups. And we'll point him, if we're not the one for them, we'll do everything we can to point him to the right one. I appreciate that. So they can go to your website, which is? Bebroken.com. 
BeBroken.com, and they can check out yep. what it costs for the intensive, uh, what your fees yep. are, and all that information. Man, thanks so much, Dan. Hey, guys, let's get our boots on the ground before we say goodbye to Dan today. And and we're going to include in the show notes, we're going to include in our weekly equipping blast that we'll send out along with this podcast the link to the Covenant Eyes assessment. Hey, guys, I want you to go take that assessment. I think every guy struggles with lust on some level. Uh, at least 99% of them do. I think that other 1% is a liar. And so uh, go take that test. See where you're at. I think that'll be really, really helpful. And if you have identified, hey, man, this is something that needs to be dealt with, hit these guys up at bebroken.com. And, uh, man, that they're, they're here to help you and serve you guys. So, Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. I sure appreciate the time you took. And you're in a battle, man. This is a huge battle in our country. So thank you so much for being a champion for it. I appreciate it, Jim, Dale and Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor to, to step into the arena. And um, a final final thing is, guys, you can't win this battle alone. Yeah. Brothers are born for adversity. That's why we're all here, to help one another. Arm and arm, shoulder to shoulder, step in the arena and, and uh, let another man walk alongside you. Yep. Get in the arena, guys. Get out of the bleachers. So, Dale, you want to drive us home, brother? Until next time. Feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.